What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dapper Villains Podcast. I am Dana Blue, and as always, joined by my co-host, Jay Such Dave. Jay, what's going on, brother? Brother, I'm very good, man. I'm super um, happy to be doing this again. Um, and the, the guest we've your got home tonight. From this time. From my home studio this time. There's no <laughs> my phone dying in the middle of the show. And uh, yeah, from, from my with, with no, the real you, mic and stuff. You toughed it out last time, though. I appreciate it. Today, we got a dope guest. Before I get into that, though, do not forget to subscribe to the Dapper Villains podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Sp- Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get podcasts. Also, check out the YouTube channel, Dapper Villains podcast or Dapper Villains on YouTube and our Facebook page. We've got all our content across those platforms, and we're looking to do some special content for YouTube, so that should be coming in the near future. With that being said, Jay, today we have Mr. B, the gentleman, Rhymer. Pretty excited uh, about this. This guy's the founder um, of Chap Hop. Chap Hop. I mean, he has his own music genre. Right? Like... Like we've interviewed other musicians, like people who sort of dabble in similar space, but this guy actually created his own genre of music. Mm. And uh, it doesn't get more dapper villains than that. Right? And he's got a dope style. Like he's got this this crazy, like oversized British tailoring sort of menswear, very, I guess, chappish. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. With that so. being said, man, let's let's get right into this. I want I want to dive into what this guy's about. Well, B, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate you taking the time and calling in. I, we've been trying to set this up for for a minute, so I'm glad we finally made it happen. Absolutely, yes. It's well, it's nice to be here. Now, in case any of our listeners don't know who the father of Chap Hop is, would you mind to uh, give us a, a quick rundown of? All the uh, all the things you've done and what you do and who you are. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah, I say I'm, I'm used to be the gentleman rhymer, and I well, I I do chap hop, which is a culmination of lots of other things I've done in the past, mm. which has included, gosh, uh, sometime in the '90s, I was in a kind of hip hop band called Collapse Lung, and we had a couple of sort of minor hits. Um, then after that finished, I was doing. I also did stuff under the name of Sergeant Rock, which is. Uh, Kind of almost like a breakbeat, kind of quirky disco breakbeat, more like a kind of producery thing. It was when the everyone started doing, yeah, it was almost like a big beat thing. Um, and that, I mean, it's, I had an album out that sold absolutely nothing, but it was plundered for for TV and films and and uh, things like that. So, yeah, that went for a few years. Then I, what else has happened after that? I was in a, I moved down. Well, while I was in Collapse Lung, I was also in a band called the Schooner Boys, which is Something I call a dandy punk band. I'm not sure if the other members of it would, would have called it that, but that's what I've decided to call it. We sort of did um, slightly modish punk songs about sort of, uh, we had one called Decanter Riot. And uh, yeah, what else was there? Yeah, there's lots of very, you know, slightly, slightly kind of camp, odd, dandy punk songs. <laughs> I don't know, you know. One was called Feel the Heel of My Chelsea Boot. My wow. so it was like kind of like an air of that sort of a uh, clockwork a, orange ultraviolence sort of thing but many, uh, with a cravat. Many punks are uh, willing to claim that they would wear a Chelsea boot, I imagine. This is true. This is true. This was our thing. And um, <laughs> very yeah, dandy then I moved gangster. Exactly. Exactly. Kind of dandy gangster. Yeah. <laughs> so then I moved down to Brighton in well, about 2003 mm. and uh, started. A little banjo lady covers band. I was playing. I picked up the ukulele, you know, sometime around the turn of the century, and started mucking about with that. And so I formed a little band with a couple of friends. One was playing bass, one was playing drums, and a lot of what I do is Mr. B started off with that. So we do kind of strange cover versions of things, mainly of old sort of old school rave tunes, mm. and yeah, that sort of thing. And yeah, we did that for a couple of years, and then all these things basically culminated in me coming up with the idea of of Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer, and Chap Hop, which was sort of hip-hop as if uh, it was played by a silly old Englishman with a large moustache from the 1930s or something like that. Very and, nice. Uh, yeah, and here we are today, but also, you know, yes, <laughs> but I also do other things. I do, I do stuff which is more kind of slightly melancholy, weird, wonky electronic beats under the name of The Major, but that also has a slightly chappy feel because I'll tend to sort of sample old British sitcoms from the 70s um, 
and then also do and also make just straight up sort of lo-fi acid house under the name of Jason Rollbars and also did a thing with another friend who was from Collapsed Lung called Kicks and Rock. There's just far too many things going on now. This is one of the problems with lockdown. I've had so much time to actually, <laughs> you know, make things rather than driving off all over the place to play shows. Mm. I've just kind of, I don't really know who I am anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kind of lost in this melee. What am I today? Am I Jason Rollbars or The Major or Mr. B or what? The but generally speaking, Mr. B is the bread and butter part of it. Is it? Yeah. Now, it's I kind of what I do. We talked to um, uh, Benjamin Weil before, Esquire. Yes. Um, yes and I, yeah. I know when we were emailing initially, you said he is sort of your protege. Uh, well, you know, I, I couldn't possibly have said <laughs> that. But, yeah, I do know Tom. You know, I think he, he was doing a lot of sort of cover versions. And then, I mean, he said to me, he said he actually started writing his own stuff because he'd got a gig booked supporting me. Ah. And thought, right, I'm, you know, I'm going to write some of my own stuff. And as it turns out, he was just, he was just bloody well better at it than anyone else. So it was, uh, yeah. So I, I actually, <laughs> he was just very good at that's, it. That's that's so not what you well. said before the show. <laughs> what? When? What? Never. Oh no, no Tom's great. He's he's marvelous. So he's I great and a lovely man as well. You through his music originally, obviously, uh, no more fucks to yes. blew up last year, and uh, it certainly did. Being an American, kind of like uh, living in Asia, like, and, and I am a hip hop fan, but I never even knew like about chap hop. And then through his music, right. you know, the, the algorithms fed me some Mr. B. And I was like, yes. oh my, oh my, this is this is very much my my thing. Excellent. Well, that's what we like to hear. Well, I think that this, I think it, a lot of people think it's a kind of just a parody, but it's you know it is a genre of its own, and there's. You know, I'd like to think it's got some depth. Well, I've been doing it for, what, 14 years or so, 13 years. So hopefully it's got a bit of enough depth, at least to keep it going that long anyway. Well, I mean, so I can see how someone would think it's a parody, but when you listen to actually, like, lyrically what you're, what you're doing, you know, there's, there's nuance there and there's originality that you wouldn't get necessarily with most parody. Yes, I, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I think especially... This is what tends to happen with hip hop, particularly, mm. is you'll get, you know, some white comedians who don't understand hip hop. I mean, it doesn't happen so much now, but back in the day, there'd be some white comedians who don't really understand hip hop mm. and kind of try and take the piss out of it. And it just doesn't ever work, that sort of thing. I think the thing, the main thing about it is I kind of have respect for every aspect of what it is that I do. So, you know, I try and play my banjolele as well as I can, and I try to make my production as as on point as possible and I try and make sure my flow is pretty decent um yeah just pay respect to the whole thing really and just yeah. try and do every aspect of it as well as I possibly can yeah I, I definitely see that come across especially like I said uh, in your flow and we'll, we'll we're corresponding earlier and we'll get to your your top five dead or alive later for sure but oh, yes I, I, a little spoiler that Chuck D is on your list and I actually thought like your flow very much reminds me because I grew up listening to Chuck D, Public Enemy yeah. in, the, in the 90s. And the way, like your flow, I'm a huge MF Doom fan and you're not, mm. you know, and also like a common and, you know, most deaf, like all, all that type of like 90s, early 2000s lyricism. But your flow is very straightforward, but, you know, you will cross the bar line, you will you will add in oh, some yeah. wordplay. And to me, like right away, and it might be that Chuck D is one of my favorites, is that I, I kind of felt yeah. like that there's a bit of Chuck D's style in there. Yeah, I think, I mean, mate, that, I don't think that's ever conscious, but I guess it's just he, again, like you, he's, he's the one I kind of grew up with really and really connected with. And perhaps, yeah, I guess my style is that, you know, I guess it's of that era, mm. really. So. Uh, yeah, Chuck's going to be up there somewhere. But uh, yeah, as I say, I do, I don't, I try not to just do couplets. You know, you, you've got, you know, it's all about flow. So yeah, yeah, I try not to do too many couplets and do some, you know, internal rhymes and, yeah, as you say, wordplay and what have you. You definitely I think have I need to put more play. similes in there, actually. Yeah. I don't think I use enough similes. That's the thing. I should use more I, of that. I read, I read a bit about you on The Guardian and uh, they said you got detained by US Customs. Or, all oh, right, yeah. Um, 
Well, I was only for carrying for too a while. many cufflinks. <laughs> it was pretty much. The problem is they sort of, uh, yeah, they they kind of you had to declare how much everything was worth, and I was thinking, well, I mean, how much is it, you know. How much? Can, what am I to say? How much this is actually worth? It was like, yeah, my merchandise. Yeah, it was cufflinks and CDs and things like that. And if I'd actually declared it as much as you know, how however much I'd actually paid for it myself, I would have been in the clear completely. But I went and sort of declared and said, oh, well, it's probably worth retail. It's worth this, but you know, wholesale it's worth that. And yeah. I don't know. I think because I'd flown into New York, they tend to like to just yeah, they they don't like to have an easy life. When I went to Minneapolis. Completely different kettle of fish. It was, uh, they were like, oh, come on in. Hey, nice mustache. And that was that. It was no problemo. But uh, yeah, New York, they tend to like to go, well. And they said at the end of it, they were saying, oh, yeah, make sure you bring your receipts next time. And I thought, well, if I brought the receipts, it would have been receipts. fine because they're worth nothing. You know? But then when you then travel, think, when you travel and like you, when you carry too many cufflinks, but when you're, when you're on the road, do, do you dress more hip hop street or you dress like, like the way you are now? I, I tend to dress, yeah, this is generally how I dress, yeah. But of, of oh, well, course, you know, this too is... many cufflinks wouldn't be that surprising to, to get... No, of course, I mean, of course. And you can usually get away with a lot dressed like this, you know, looking like absolutely. this. People think, oh, well, you, you know, he's, he's doing his thing. When I fly around uh, Asia, I bring a jacket just so I can throw the jacket on and cut through the diplomatic line. <laughs> there you go, yeah. It does the job. Yeah, it does open doors. It worked. I say with the when I got held at um, yeah held at customs. It was only for a little while, but um, yeah, as it turned out, and yeah, I went off, played my my first gig, and left the whole consignment of merchandise in the back of a taxi. Oh, God. I put it in the trunk of a taxi, and uh, yeah, oh, went off, and we it. yeah, I got it back in the end. But it was oh, wow. yeah, there was a there was a few days, and I left my you know everything, my instruments, everything, I just left in the trunk. We. Wow. I played a gig in Brooklyn and ended up having a few drinks with people afterwards. We hailed a cab on the street, didn't get, you know, didn't get any uh, proof of purchase or anything like that and just wandered off, went and had a Mexican meal. About half past four in the morning, I was walking across the street back to where I was uh, staying and I just thought, I feel kind of light somehow. And then I got halfway across the street and thought, oh, no. But uh, yeah, in the end, uh, as I was going to buy searching all around Brooklyn to find a banjolele. Well, there aren't many of them in, in New York, I have to say. Mm. But I found one in a, in a music store and bought it. And then just as I got back, I got an email from the cab driver who'd found the email address on one of the CDs. Wow. He came, you know, and so arranged to come and bring it all back. But he kind of came back and I gave him like $20. And this is the same thing that happens with, you know, US Customs. They assume if you're a musician who's traveled, you know, from England or what have you to across to the States, they assume you're like Beyonce or something. They just assume you're incredibly rich. So I gave him like 20 bucks and he just kind of went, okay. I went, <laughs> oh, that's so New York. I said, gave him, I gave him another 10. Right? Right? <laughs> I think I overdid it. I was like, oh, you saved my life. I was, I'm on tour here and I, I would have been nothing without this stuff. And I, sh I should have just kept my mouth shut and just said, thanks very much. Uh, and I don't know how much I gave him that in the is, end, but it's like, uh, that is right, so New York. Five? The five, you paid for those <laughs> New York engagements. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I went home a poor man. Yeah, that it, it kind of it's kind of weird that you left in a taxi. It reminds me of a story about I think it was Yo Yo Ma left his cello in a New York taxi, and uh, like right. millions of dollars. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I don't know if he maybe he'd been drinking with the same people that I went drinking with after the show. <laughs> Perhaps that was it. A couple of beverages in Brooklyn and some Mexican food, maybe, maybe. Exactly. Well, actually, funnily enough, I was just watching uh, your um, the podcast with Natty Adams, and oh. it was uh, Rose nice. Callahan who took all the photos for I Am Dandy, who I went drinking with her and her husband. Oh, Kelly. wow! Because <laughs> they ended up directing a video for me during that week. Oh, so nice. They were, and yes, actually, I came over to, to the first thing I did was I actually played at the I Am Dandy book launch in oh, wow. Gramercy. Yeah, Very cool. that was that was fun. Yeah, we'll have to see if we can get you booked around Bangkok because I, I want to go see that show. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be there as soon as we can. As soon as we can do that sort of thing. If only Jay knew it. of a clothier in the uh, in the city that could host someone. If only. Yeah, if only. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Oh well, you never know. <laughs> I think Jay. You think we can get him booked at Dollhouse? 
What is that? <laughs> yeah, like okay, a, Jack. Like <laughs> that looks like you need to take James about, to some places. I don't know about these up. things, Dana. What are you talking about? No, nothing, Jay. Sorry, I forgot who I was talking to. It's, it's totally <laughs> not. It's totally not a small establishment between Soy Twenty One and Twenty Three. Absolutely not. Oh, I still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Jay only goes to the Lady Boy bars. <laughs> so uh, B, obviously, you know, style is a big part of your character. And yes. chap hop, that chap style. And I heard you in one of your other interviews say that you, know, you only started doing chap hop so that you could try to get into chap magazine. But, you know, when you created the character, how important was the style to that, that character? Oh, well, it was, I mean, in a way, part of how I started it was I'd, um, I just really wanted almost an excuse to dress better. I wanted to move on from, you know, it was the early 2000s. It was, you know, T-shirts and baggy jeans and things like that. And I Wait, those aren't in style of... anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's say Oxford bags. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to dress better. So uh, I tried invoking, uh, we went out, this, uh, that actually kind of, they become a character in my little novel, this, or this um, a thing we do called Club Mercredi, which mm. is basically just a group of like four friends going for a drink every Wednesday. But I, like I tend to do with a lot of these things, I had to kind of formalize the whole thing and make it into a little world. So I was like, okay, Club Mercury. And then I tried to invoke suit autumn. So after the summer, if we were going to the pub, we had to wear suits. Okay. But I think I was the only one that actually did that. It was just an excuse <laughs> for me. And so, and me being, you know, having had many personas in the past, musical personas, I just uh, decided that, yeah, Mr. B would be the perfect opportunity to just, yeah, just dress better as well, as well as, you know, uh, exploring all the other, you know, bits of music that I'd done and, you know, trying to make something original. Um, it was an excuse for me to just buy some nice suits and dress up. So you founded a whole musical genre just so you had an excuse to buy suits? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's basically how it went down. <laughs> Effectively, that was it. Yes. So much like T.I. is the the founder the godfather of trap you are very much the founder the godfather of chap hop i guess so. well i i will say this i came up with the term chap hop okay obviously there's there's the debate between myself and the good professor elemental mm. about who started it but it's that was a very peculiar thing there's just these two people that happened to live in the same city we were completely unaware of each other when we were doing a very similar thing he's more a kind of victorian explorer mm. steampunk type Whereas I, you know, I'm more about, yeah, maybe the style and the chappishness. Yeah. I don't but, really get a steampunk um, yes, getting... vibe from you as much as I do from him. No, no, no. But I, I'm still, you know, I, I, I tend to skirt around various scenes. I think. Mm. I think that's one thing about start almost performing my own genre is just that I don't get caught because I, you know, kind of made that mistake in the past. Not mistake, but just ended up doing some music when I was doing Sergeant Rock, which is a kind of breakbeat thing. There's like, you know, there's a scene around, so you get involved in that a bit. And then suddenly the way you, you know, I was making music was getting more and more narrow mm. and everything became a bit like, okay, if you don't make something that goes, then, you know, DJs aren't going to play it. Whereas yeah. if you start your own genre, then you're in charge of how it sounds. You can do whatever and you I want. can go off on whichever direction. Yeah. So maybe it's a banger. Maybe it's not. Only you can decide. Exactly. I decide. Even if everyone else thinks it's terrible, I say, well, let's uh, you just don't understand it. <laughs> now, so obviously uh, your style has evolved considerably over, over the years from, you know, collapse along, whatever you're doing before that. And yes. we're, we're chatting. I was saying like, I went back and watched eat my goal, which I don't even understand what, what that means. Is that a British term? It's actually, there's, I don't know if you, if you, if you've heard of, do you know Steve Coogan? No. It's like a British act because of comic actor. No. And he did a character called Alan Partridge. He's kind of like the, he's kind of the biggest comedy, British comedy character there is really. He's it's just, he's your classic sort of slightly out of touch, middle-aged man. He's a kind of TV and radio presenter, the character is. Okay. But um, it was, he started off, you know, in, in the myth as he started off as a sports presenter and there's, just clips from a show called The Day Today, which is a spoof news program from the early 90s. Mm. And um, 
there's lots of little clips of him doing soccer commentary. Okay. And one of them, he just goes, boof, eat my goal. <laughs> and when someone scores a goal. And yeah, we just kind of, it kind of means, it does mean nothing in a way. I mean, the whole song means nothing, but it was used during a, you know, the European uh, soccer championship. Yeah. I, have to take, I have to keep pausing and saying soccer rather than Appreciate football. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get confused for sure. So I, I would just stick to cricket. Mean, that would be fine. What do you mean football? That's <laughs> yeah. not What's football? our way. <laughs> so obviously yes. you've evolved quite a bit. Cause when, I, when I watch the collapsed lung stuff, it, 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 it's weird because to me, British rap from that era feels like an emulation of like slightly earlier American hip hop. Mm. And yeah. You guys kind of have like a sort of Beastie Boys vibe, I guess, to me. Uh, I guess so, yeah. People did sort of slightly refer to us as the British Beastie Boys, but there wasn't a lot of other British Beastie Boys to choose from, really. So I think maybe that was a default setting. Even when you're rhyming, though, in in that group, when you're rhyming, you almost sound American versus... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think I was more... Obviously, it's not now. I, you know, now I speak in very sort of was it received pronunciation yes. while I'm doing Mr. B. Whereas that was more, it was a, it was more of a London accent. It was my, it was my original London accent I was using. Okay. So yeah, I think I, I'd kind of, I yeah, I hope we didn't sound too American because uh, I was deliberately trying not to because simply because a lot, a lot of the British rappers around them were just just had American accents mm. in the same, you know, and this is one of the things actually about accents and what have you that people say to me after shows to say oh you know you you're, you don't talk like that on the stage you're faking it and I was like well Mick Jagger doesn't you know when he <laughs> Mick Jagger's from Richmond in, in in Surrey in you know just outside London he's not from you know Texas or what have you but he <laughs> just sounds true. like that when he's on the stage it's just you know but I deliberately wanted to you know that's kind of was my own voice but mm. perhaps there's a couple of American tinges here and there but they Obviously, were purely 20, <laughs> accidental I think 20 plus years on Right, and the yes. evolution of your art and your your music and your personal style has obviously come a long way from T-shirts and, and baggy jeans and a Beastie Boys esque band to you sort of you've yes. created a genre, you front your own character, you've created a I, I would almost argue you've created like a universe around Mr. B in the music and the ethos of it. You know, absolutely, yeah, yeah, it's like definitely the same years? thing. <laughs> well. Well, like I said, there was you know, one of the influences, influences were definitely um, when we did this band, The Schooner Boys, while I was doing Collapse Lung. And maybe, I mean, mainly we were just making really silly films, almost like kind of 10 minute, you know, like the monkeys. It yeah. would be like a silly, you know, slightly comic five minutes and then a kind of music video at the end of it. Yeah. And we did a few of those. We ended up, we were, we were together sort of 12 years and we ended up oh. doing one show at the very end. And at the end of it, the rest of the guys were like, didn't really enjoy that. Don't think I want to do that again. <laughs> and I was like, this was great. What are you talking about? 12 years so of practice, kind of, yeah. one show. No, not, not my thing. <laughs> exactly. We kind of did two albums and lots of these little silly films. And then we did one show and that was that, really. How do you do two but, albums um, and only one show? <laughs> I know. They, well, no one ever booked us for a gig and we were never you know, bothered enough to try and get one. Yeah. So when we got one in the end, we're like, okay, let's do that one. And then that was that. That was that. So... Yeah, so that was very much more of a kind of, uh, yeah, I guess it was a British TV thing called Jason King, Mm. who was, I guess he was kind of an early prototype of Austin Powers, really. Okay. He was a sort of dandy detective type who just, you know, was just very loose and, you know, one for the ladies and everything like that. (laughs) Um, So we were a bit more in, you know, just slightly more 60s mold, but yeah, I've always been... And I've always liked old sort of music hall stuff and vaudeville things. So it was, yeah, something I was heading towards. I kind of had the idea in, in my mind. When we were doing the what, Rock on Egg and Bob stuff, which was my little banjo-lely band I started in Brighton, um, there was definitely, yeah, we had a sort of, as the, I mean, we did a lot of shows. And as those shows progressed, it was getting more, you know, we were working jokes in and, it became more, you know, you suddenly realise there's, a, you know, a stagecraft to it all. And also there's something about having a slightly, you know, haste, you know, don't wish to say, but, you know, well, a look anyway. I wouldn't say necessarily an iconic look, but a look, you know, the glasses and moustache. I remember doing, this is a real thing, when I, uh, when it was with Collapse Lung, we were playing at the Reading Festival. It was a really big festival. 
uh, in England and we were on the main stage and I was walking around with my brother who's like sort of just under two years younger than me and we've got that, you know, the classic sort of brother relationship. We're, mm. we're walking around and this, we saw this kid walking towards us with a collapsed lung t-shirt on and my brother was nudging me going, oh, here we go, <laughs> fanboy moment, here we go, here we go. And this kid just kind of looked straight through me and carried on walking. <laughs> my, my brother absolutely loved that. He was like, ah, he didn't even recognize you. That's crazy because that's the same thing James yeah. does every time I see him in public. <laughs> Just maybe different reasons there. Don't exist. Yeah, maybe he's, you know, he's had reason over the years to, to uh, decide to do that. I don't know. But yeah, whereas the first Mr. B gig I ever did, which was actually, what, 13 years ago yesterday? No, no, tomorrow. Um, yeah, it was just a little tiny festival. And as soon as I turned up, there were people going, oh, it's Mr. B, hello. And because there was, you know, there's a lot to be said for having a look and looking different from other people. So uh, yeah, you do actually have a lot of suits. Like it, it is a, like each music video, a lot of guys like do like the column stuff dandy and like they have like three suits and rotate it over and over. Like I'm seeing like, yeah. like 20 suits in one video. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the three piece suit and sneakers probably has uh, 10 different looks in it. That's true. Is, is that yes, how you exactly. justify your shopping with your wife? That, oh, it's for the video, honey. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> pretty much, yes. Pretty much. Although she's get, a more prodigious upper than I am, I have to say. You can either get video girls, like American hip-hop videos, or I can get some more suits. Up to you. More suits, exactly, yeah. That's it. I've got super head and on speed dial. Definitely a safer bet. <laughs> <laughs> are are yeah, most so of your suits um, custom, or are they... Uh, do you buy them vintage, from vintage stores and stuff like that? Um, very, there's hardly any that custom. There's only a couple of like, well, this, actually, this, this thing I'm wearing now is my siren suit, which is made by a friend of ours. And my wife's made me a velvet one as well. But this oh, is right. like a, a kind of, it's like a gentleman. Oh, very nice. Like onesie. It's yeah. kind of a, I think Churchill used to wear them during the war. And it's called a siren suit because when the sirens go off, you need something you can just whoop, whoop, you can still look smart. Nice. But it's just all in one. So I kind of, I've been after one for years and eventually now I've got two, which is nice. Excellent. And the other one's like a burgundy velvet, which is, you know, very sort of George Costanza, you know, draping <laughs> myself in velvet if it's socially that acceptable. So, so in velvet, man. <laughs> yeah. Jay, no. I, I can't even remember. It's fairly special. Today. No, no. That's, 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 that's British climate shit, Jay. Stop thinking. Stop yeah, thinking. Yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> But also, I the like problem the with that fact one is that, that it's like, oh, if it's there's a siren and you run, you know, like I'm usually late for the podcast and uh, I need to put something quick and uh, maybe usually that's it's an understatement. Yeah, yeah, we all need siren suits. But the problem with the obviously, especially you know, the velvet one particularly is that you know I originally got them so that I could wear them for shows. They're like, they're stage stage costume more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I don't tend to wear the siren suit out because there's you know. I don't know. I think I just don't think even Brighton, which is very kind of very liberal, I think even Brighton's not quite ready for a siren suit yet in yeah. everyday life, just walking down the street. But we'll see. But the, particularly the velvet one, they were for stage. And then as soon as I got the velvet one, we all went into lockdown, no more shows. There we go, stuck at home. So no, then if it's not custom, where do you usually shop your suits? Um, all over the place, really. There's, um, I have a lot of suits from a place called Old Town Clothing which is in Norfolk in the um, East Coast. Mm. And they do, it's all, it's new, but it's all based on original patterns from uh, like sort of Victorian workwear. Oh. Mm -hmm. so I have a lot of three-piece suits, but um, yeah, they're just very kind of unstructured and very comfortable. Like the, like the boat stripe one, the, the one with the large stripes? Yes. Where yeah, did you get that right. from? Oh, the, the, uh, the boats there, I got a couple of those. Actually, no. Um, Tom Wilde gets some stuff from Walker Slater in Edinburgh. Walker I've got Slater. A, yeah, I feel like yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, they do. They're great. Place. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it. Now, this is one of the things about the evolution of it all. Mm. Yeah. When I first started doing Mr. B, there was a lot of tweed. Mm. Whereas tweed on stage under lights Not is so great. hard work. <laughs> it's really it's like, hard. I mean, like, Here's where like yeah. dandy and sartorialists uh, don't get along. Like people who are dandy actually live that lifestyle and they 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 mm -hmm. they really cherish it. 
but the sartorial ones, like, um, like there, there are a few rules that you need to follow. Um, or like the fit has to look, it usually sartorial guys would be usually custom instead of ready to wear. Um, yes, yeah. but, but of course, you know, the industry needs to respect both. Uh, like, like there are a lot of guys in the book of dandy who would wear all three buttons when it's a three button suit. And that's right. normally a big no, no in the industry yes, absolutely. or like double breasted with the other buttons down. I mean, uh, when we see your video, it looks good, uh, mm. doing that or like, you know, because it's like, it's deliberately breaking the rule, but, um, it's also more fun in a way, like I think yeah, being yeah. dandy, like I think even uh, Natty Adams explained it very well, um, what is it What it is to be a dandy. Yeah. Yes. You, yeah, yeah. Do capital you define D. yourself as a dandy? Capital D? <laughs> um, oh, I don't know if, yeah, maybe you can have percentages of it. I'd say I'm 50-50 because I'll generally, you know, I will, I dress up. You know, and most you know, most of my friends in Brighton are you know sweatshirt and jeans people, but um, I will generally speaking put a tie on, and yeah, just try and look my best. But um, yeah, I suppose I suppose in a way, I suppose in a way I am because I do live that lifestyle. I don't tend to, although that said, during lockdown I have let things slide a little bit because you know you realise that you dress to go out, you dress to be seen, whereas yeah. if you're at home and you're not being seen. Uh, sometimes you don't really bother so much. Well, but. then how about this? Uh, Natty defined dandy for us on the show. You own a genre called chap hop. So if you don't mm -hmm. mind, can you define us what is chap in your opinion? Well, this is the thing. This is the difference between chap and chap hop. This is, again, one of my, one of my outs, one of my excuses. As I always say to people, there is hop in chap hop because I'll be, I will wear a suit and I'll wear a pair of uh, you know, Adidas shell toes with, you know, usually I have white, always have one pair of white shell toes with black stripes and black laces, fat laces, mm -hmm. you know, proper old school style. And I'll wear that with a, you know, baggy, you know, a baggy, a baggy trouser, a loose trouser, and, you know, usually sort of tighter on the top and looser on the bottom. Um, and a lot of people in the sort of chap community will sort of say, well, you know, it's the shell toes and brogues debate that I, I did bring up in one of my songs. Yeah, but, uh, shell toes. Yeah, a lot of people go, well, how dare you wear trainers? This is ridiculous. And I say, well, you know, there is hop <laughs> in chap hop. Yeah. This is it. This, I have, this has to be a nod to hip hop. So, Otherwise, you know, it's, so, and so there's again, a chap community. Of, so, there's a chap, huge chap community that yeah, you have to battle much, with. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, I guess it's kind of, well, maybe more the vintage community than the chap community, perhaps. I see. You know, you sort of vintage Olympics people. Or something, right? The chap Olympiad, yes, yes. I actually, have, I've, <laughs> I wrote the, uh, the anthem of the chap Olympiad. Um, wow. Light the Olympic pipe. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, oh, it's great. It's really good fun. There's like, uh, was it butler baiting? Um, what else is it? Yeah, there's the... Um, what is it? The umbrella jousting. So you both get on, on bicycles and you have a, a hardened version, a copy of the, the Times and a, an umbrella and you just charge at each other and what have you. Oh, I could win it's, that. It's very, I could win very, that. It's very silly. <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah. If you get over to London, you should. Well, if they, they didn't do it this year, obviously, because yeah. nothing was happening this year. But when it comes back, it's, it's just a really good, I'm, ridiculous day Just with the umbrella out. jousting, I might make the, uh, I might make the uh, effort just to win that. Absolutely, yeah. Do you, I mean, do people do get competitive. Farming? I think someone was nearly beaten to death with an umbrella one year. <laughs> it got a little bit out of hand. Do they do uh, umbrella fencing as well? Um, no, I think they just stick to the jousting. They do, um, was it not playing tennis? That's a good not one. Playing <laughs> not playing tennis. They basically <laughs> sit on the sides of a little net and like, it's like whoever can best not play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone shows any actual sporting prowess, they are disqualified immediately. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so then fucking get drunk in the tennis court and be like, not playing tennis. That's Pretty the game. much, yeah. Everything involves a lot of gin. Actually, there's this, from the chaplain, I think maybe if you look it up, there's a picture of me that was in like, Time Out magazine being tended to by a couple of you know, vintage-y looking nurses and I, had, I was on a Bloody Mary drip. 
<laughs> that's how I've been injured. So it's like a drip that was full of Bloody Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Jay, that, yeah, that, that is that is fun. Dapper villains, Jay. Dude, I definitely want to uh, be in that sport. Uh, that would be the first trophy I'd ever get home to my mom. And be like, hey, there not you go, mom. Tennis. Not not <laughs> such a loser after all. <laughs> 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 I, I love the the chap pop look at like the the three-piece suit and sneakers i love that song because i always wear sneakers yeah. um i wear a shell shelter is a, a thai brand called nanyang it's very it's like a uh-huh. it's like a ten dollar version of adidas and uh okay I, I well i'm all like, for that that's the thing yeah um, i used to i remember when i was at college i would i this thing i've always had these little strange tangents that i'll go off on like when everyone was wearing kind of you know you had to have the right brand of sportswear. I would deliberately wear things like, I don't know, like Gola, which is a kind of the cheap <laughs> British brand. Mm. And I would wear, but I'd find a pair of, they'd sometimes a lot of these kind of terrible brands will still have a pair of trainers that look pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd just buy things, yeah, deliberately. And, I, you know, I became obsessed with Gola trainers because they were like, the, it was your trainers. rebellion. Dude, so when, when your videos got like millions of views, like all those, all those haters that you're like, cause you created your own job. That's gangster as fuck, by the way. Yeah. Like to like, you know, <laughs> like, uh, stick to who you are so much and just keep on yeah. doing it. And that's how like everything great is invented, right? Like yeah. they're like, they all become, you know, they look weird at the first and they're like, once like they hit something and then everybody, then it was like, Oh, I always knew you would, do this yeah. and, or you make it yeah. here and shit well i think that's it as well is sometimes people sort of you know a lot of people usually kind of aunties and uncles and things like that say oh you should go on like britain's got talent or you know america's i think americans got ta- america's got talent generally i know a few people that have done that and it's actually a much better path to doing things oh, than yeah. the british they love the brits over there but then like if you're yeah exactly <laughs> but um at the same time i would say but if if i went onto a mainstream show and did what i did for like two minutes everyone would just go what is this hmm. but it's one of those things you just have to you know get involved in a little bit and just plow through and think okay it's like when i often when i play shows to you know an audience that have maybe not seen me before hmm. um often the reaction is kind of similar. They'll start off completely bemused and you can see them just going, what's this? And then maybe a couple of songs in and you can see each other go, okay, I think I understand what he's doing now. It's just jumping up at the end and, you know, it's people, you know, it takes a little while to get on board with it because it's a little bit different. It's, it's, you know, it's a unique, yeah, I suppose it's unique in its own way. Yeah. I'd like to think. <laughs> it absolutely is. Absolutely is. And I think, you know, yeah, one of the things that, that's special about it is that there, there's depth to it. Like, like you were talking before about being a parody or not. It's definitely not a parody. There's some depth to, to it. And the more you look at, especially your catalog, the more you look at the song selection, you, you get into the lyrics, you start to, you know, really feel the flow there's depth and creativity there. Whereas if it was just a one-off kind of novelty, it, it wouldn't have that. And of course you said you've been doing it for 13 yeah. years. So 13 years of history and, yeah, and it's still, evolution. still going. Yeah. 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 It's true. I mean, it's like the, the video I did that uh, Rose for that photographed I am Dandy did mm. was for a track called um, hip hop was to blame after all. Yeah. And uh, it's, again, this is one of those things that you have to kind of, you have to watch till the end because mm. basically the whole thing is I'm sort of saying that oh hip hop's decided to homogenize itself and base itself in violence and wealth and what have you and I'm you know and, and uh, there's a little twist at the end which is suggesting that it's not hip hop that's doing this at all it's the three companies that decide what you hear and see it's mm. you know I'd read a book oh God, I can't remember what the author's name was but it's called I Mix What I Like and it's about how yeah how the big companies have sort of taken hip hop and almost you know just made it what they want it to be and you know shushed away shushed away any of the you know the voices that are maybe saying something making sure it's all just about yeah Yeah. you know lots of suburban white kids like people with lots of money and things like that yeah yeah i mean it's almost like it's almost like they're turning hip-hop to look stupid 
So I, you when, know who yeah. Immortal Technique when is? it was rebellious, oh, when it was always like so much more meaningful than just about bragging about your money or you know killing somebody. It was really sharing hood problems. It was really yeah, exactly. you know making a difference. But um, you know now it's like yeah okay I get your point. Super. Um, yeah. You know who uh, Immortal Technique is? Probably. Uh, I know the name. So um, huge unsigned independent artist for like two decades. Uh, two decades of success, right. like million sales on albums with no label, no distribution. Um, you know, in right. it's or artists like that are able to kind of buck the mold. He's obviously very business savvy in the sense that also a fantastic communicator in the fact that he's able to get his yeah. message across, build a brand independently of any major label or distribution, not be on the radio. And I can remember listening to his music in like the 2000s and like, it's not on radio anywhere. I don't even know where I got the tracks from, you know, and yeah. all of a sudden, like now I've got like all his albums and mm. it was very well, that's the beauty like, of it. You can, you can do that now, you know, yeah. it's in what I'm doing. I, you know, deliberately I've had offers of, you know, record deals and things like that, but I'm not really interested. I, the whole thing is having been in a band and, you know, been signed to a couple of labels, uh, it was one of the things I thought I don't want to do that again. I do, you know, this the fact that it's my own genre and everything is I need. I kind of became quite control freakish about the whole thing. Mm. I thought I, you know, I'm in charge here. This is my thing. I'm not giving anything away to anyone else. Even you know, as a, yeah, as a musician, when you sign with a label, does it become work versus create creativity or? Is there something that happens with that? Because I've I've heard quite a few musicians talk about, you know, getting signed to a label ruined their what they were doing for them. Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've been kind of lucky, really. I mean, to be honest, you know, the labels I was on, we did have largely, you know, artistic control anyway. Mm. Um, and you know, the problem being, you know, being musicians and not necessarily business savvy, it suddenly, yeah, you know, with with collapsed lung, you know, by the time, uh, um, by the time we'd sort of split up and stopped doing it, we were, it was, you know, it was in the mid nineties. So it was a time when record labels were still spending a huge amount of money. Mm. And it, we were a small, small indie band, and, but we were maybe like 200,000 pounds in debt by the time, by the time we'd finished. And then obviously I did the Sergeant Rock stuff afterwards and started getting things used on films. Mm. But sadly, the deal was cross-collateralized, as they call it. So anything I did afterwards had to go back to pay that deal off. So I didn't actually oh. make, make a great deal out of money out of it myself because we had this deal, which meant everything any of you do afterwards has to pay off this deal. Wow. So it was a bit, uh, yeah, I <laughs> know, this is it. So this is one of the reasons I thought, I'm not getting involved in any of that. I'm just doing this. But you can, you know, but then you build up an actual following and people that will stick with you yeah. because yeah. And I think like the good, good thing you. about good thing about your genre is I don't think there's an age limit to it. It's not popular music where you have to be Justin Bieber age to enjoy for that 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. I mean, a lot of my gigs, you'll have, you know, three generations of, of family turning up. I can't wait to see you, uh, your, your song when you were 70. Like you'd probably be like George Carlin of the the thing where it's like well, you know, the older it. you get, the more raw it's gonna get. <laughs> I think so. I absolutely agree. I think that was part of what I had in mind. I was like, I, yeah, this will be more funny and weird the older I get. Yeah, yeah, and more wonky and odd, and being sort of gnarly old seventy old man doing hip hop. I'm looking forward to it. Problems. Well, not looking, you know, I can wait. I can certainly wait to be seventy, <laughs> but I'd like to still be doing this. Mr. B is timeless. <laughs> Mr. B is timeless. Well, you know, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> so uh, how about like inspiration-wise, musically, because, you know, England, you know, has sort of developed its own hip-hop scene now, but you, you came up in the 90s when, I, I get, I don't know, obviously, I, I don't claim to know the full history of British hip-hop, but I don't believe there was much in the 90s other than, like, American hip-hop. Yeah, well, there, I mean... I think the thing was the radio, it, again, it was about, you know, the radio, well, America latched onto hip hop, obviously a lot earlier than, than anywhere else. And so you were able to hear, you know, what the hip hop you heard on the radio was largely American hip hop. Mm. Whereas there were actually some really great um, bands like uh, Hard Noise and Son of Noise and 
MC Blade and uh, Gunshot and people like that who were kind of, of noise, basically London-based. Son of Noise, yeah, they're great. And they're still kind of, yeah, they're kind of, I didn't say still going, but they're kind of back now. Q-Rock, who's the main rapper from there, is still really active. Mm. And yeah, they, I mean, they were great, but they tended to be that sound, which they, I think they slightly, somebody called it the Brit rap sound, mm. but it was much more, They almost every track had the Apache beat on it. <laughs> <laughs> like just about everything. It was really breakneck speed. And all the raps were what we in Collapse Sun called Oppa Doppa raps. Which were kind of like, yeah. It was all like real scattergun, really. Uh, yeah, the kind of rave scene happening as well, probably around the same time that it was like there was still, you know, there's lots of kind of fast breakbeats. Mm. So yeah, there's kind of there's kind of a rich history of British rap, but it's it's kind of hidden. People don't tend to hear about it because there was a, maybe a few small labels like a uh, yeah, Music of Life. And people like that, they did it. And they were just small London labels and they didn't get a lot of mainstream, a lot of a look in. But we were kind of friends with some of those guys and they, they were great. Now, I know everyone thinks but, of um, grime today, yeah. right? And grime yes. is kind of like, obviously the second most famous style of uh, British hip hop after chap hop. And, uh, you know- Of course, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, grime is, is very much- I mean, well, gr Grime does- yeah, grime does have more than two participants in it. That's the thing. <laughs> well, maybe Jay and I will start a Dapper Villains chap hop band. I play a little ukulele, so it's possible. Well, there you go. <laughs> you want to need that a beat and some, you know, vaguely whack rhymes. Yeah, vaguely <laughs> whack rhymes. But, you know, grime is very much, a lot of people hold it up as like a, a British creation musically, right? It's, it's, it's very much its own style. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have a very good British friend here in Bangkok who, will constantly send me uh, videos of grime rap, specifically to, to try to sway me into it being like the most superior form of hip hop ever created. Right. Um, you know, so people, people are very passionate about it. Mm. Is chap hop, in, in your opinion, like very much a British creation in the same way grime is though? A, 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 a wholly British genre? Um, well, I guess... I suppose so, yes, but it's not to say that people, you know, other people from elsewhere in the world haven't had a go and what have you. It's, uh, it's like there's a guy called Pop Lock Holmes, who's based in California, who does it. And there was a chap called uh, Sir Reginald Pike Devant Esquire, mm. who's, um, who's from the States, who I actually met in, when I was over in Minneapolis, that did it. But I think they, they were just there for a little while mm. at its peak and not doing so much of it now. So I guess just the fact that it's, <laughs> largely just me and maybe one other person doing it who happened to be based pretty much in the same town uh, that it's a specifically British thing and maybe even just a Brighton thing perhaps yeah that's very but, cool but uh, yeah it's you know it's nice to it's nice to have your own genre now of course in hip hop everyone will you know and my friend Justin uh, who he's been on the podcast before Justin Hunt will always talk about top five dead or alive you know what, what are yours right well, I guess, like you said, I mean, Chuck D's got to be up there somewhere. I think just the, just the, I think it's with Chuck, it's just the authority in his voice. He's kind of, you know, he's, he's the Martin Luther King Jr. of, of, of hip hop. He's, the power he's just there, got yeah. that authority in his voice. And you just, because I think he was like a little bit older than a lot of people anyway at the start. And he's just kind of maintained that sort of authority about him, mm. which is great. But then, uh, and I really, you know, I love Bus Driver. Um, he's just, his, his, his flow is just ridiculous. It's, you know, he's very, he's quite, I think he's like an art school kid. Yeah. And so he's, he's a lot of, he has a lot of art references, a lot of art school references as well in a lot of his songs. But um, yeah, I really like his stuff. And it's just very odd. Um, and a lot of, you know, I've got a lot in the last few years, got very much into that sort of, the kind of LA beat scene. We, we, went, we went over to LA, my wife and I, a couple of years ago and went to one of the last nights of the, um, was it the Low End Theory night, which is, oh, it's mainly just sort of beat makers. It's, I think, oddly, I just tend to listen to instrumental hip hop most of the time. Yeah. I very rarely listen to things with lyrics on it, oddly. So Low End Theory, because, uh, uh, a nod at a Tribe Called Quest's album, Low End Theory, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Jazz I think so, yeah. Break beats. 
Yeah, I would guess that would be the thing. But they tend to be very, I'd find, you know, all, snare drums are always just before they should be, and the hi-hats are always after they should be. So everything just sort of wobbles around. But um, yeah, I know Bus Driver did some of their nights. But there's also um, MC Paul Barman I love, again, because it's just, you know, he's, again, he's another one that's evolved. Yeah. He's just kind of like very, I think he, you know, he went to, is it Brown? Is it one of, the, one of the big colleges? I think he's, you know, he's quite intellectual, but his mm. first couple of EPs were just downright stupid, mm. but very, you know, clearly a very clever guy, but just rapping about, you know, having bad sex and yeah. Kind of like a little things like that, time. but he's kind of evolved into being much more politically minded now mm. and a lot more sort of serious about a lot of what he does. But he, you know, he releases things very rarely. I, you know, these days he had an album out a couple of years ago, but I've not heard much of late. I think he does illustration as well, so he's been. I think he's been yeah. concentrating on that for the time being. Mm. And then uh, who was? Well, I guess in a way, the person that one of the you know, as far as hip hop goes, when I was looking, you know, I was looking at chap hop, I kind of wanted to sort of look like Run DMC in a suit, kind of the the, the Kazals and the Homburg hat. You know, the Daryl McDaniels, the DMC, look, I mean, he's like, for me, he's, he's the most iconic image of hip hop, I guess, because I'm, I'm an old school guy. So I like that kind of early mid 80s, you know, the Def Jam years for me were, you know, that was kind of the pinnacle for me, really. That early L um, Cool J look, that run DMC. Yeah, yeah. Well, they all had real iconic, you know, all of them, like you know, Public Enemy, all wearing the black and the slot, you know, and the security of the first world. And yeah. then, uh, the Beastie Boys, you know, Mike D, particularly with his VW thing and his and his leather sort of bucket hat thing, yeah. and yeah, Cool J with the Kango on the Adidas, and uh, yeah, but for me, I mean, DMC, I think, is the style. I, if not, you know, if not as a as far as a rapper goes, but he again had a you know an authoritative voice. He was when he had the sort of you know the leather suit jacket, <laughs> the gloves the Kazals and the Homburg hat. It was just yes. like, that's just such an iconic look. So classic. And always appreciate iconic looks. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, there's so many more, but I guess I kind of, I thought, yeah, I kind of, one that comes to mind is Q-Tip, just because it's kind of his, he's got a yeah, kind of timeless flow that's never, it's never sounded old, what he, the way he sounds. Yeah. Where sometimes, sure. yeah, say like Chuck is, you know, he's an amazing rapper, but it's sort of very much of an era. Yeah. You can hear even now, you know, it sounds like he's a rapper from the 80s. Mm. Whereas Q-Tip just never, and that's how, you know, he's guested on so many other people's work, mm. that he just sounds kind of the same. He's got that, you know, it's kind of youthful sounding voice anyway. But his flow has just never aged. Unsyncopated cadence as well. Like, uh, mm. like the way that he, he pulls his flow together, is, it, it sort of catches you off beat, the way he, he rhymes on the beats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. Just his, yeah, his flow, and he's so kind of loosh as yeah. well. <laughs> it's just, a great word, loosh. He's good. Loosh, it is a good word. <laughs> but yeah, he's... And he just, you know, he still looks brilliant. I mean, he's, you know, I think he comes up with a lot of their music as well. And he's, you know, he's a, he's, he's a real kind of crate digger as well, I think. He's yeah. got an enormous record collection and likes to play around with samples himself. And I always appreciate that, you know, people who are not just a rapper or not just a DJ or not just mm. a producer. There's some people that like, you know, like to do, like to do it all because that's, you know, kind of how I go about it. Yeah, I like to try a bit of everything. But that's the thing. Sometimes I need to like stop trying the new thing. I need to like, okay, look, just learn the stuff you've got and then move on. Don't just go, oh, I know, I'll get a trombone. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I can't do that. That's not really good. <laughs> I think I've spent about the last 14 years trying to learn the trombone unsuccessfully. I to move on to the French horn. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah, this is it. Yes, my wife will be very pleased. I'm just buying more and more bra. Maybe a cheap. Hey, hey, hey. Or, or sitar and create a whole new genre altogether. Well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I don't think I, as as a white Englishman, can really create a genre using a sitar. That just yeah, would be probably wrong. a bad look. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I struggle enough with whether or not I'm appropriating things anyway. If I add a sitar into the mix, then yeah, I'm in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> as a British guy, it's not a good look, and yeah, not at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, 
we, we have these 10 questions that we generally go through with guests. But before we get to that, I was, I was wondering if I could ask you to maybe bust out some rhymes for us here on the podcast. <laughs> um, I could probably do that. I could, I could do one of the ones which kind of explains it's sort of a version of an old ghetto, ghetto boys track, but uh, one that sort of kind of explains the philosophy of it slightly. Okay. Which being. Uh, no, not quite. I'll give you this. Uh, damn good to be a chap. A proper chap knows exactly where it's at. A proper chap is a rogue in well-heeled bros who knows exactly when it's right to wear a hat. He wears it outdoors, takes it off when he gets in, and never matches pocket square and tie. A proper chap drinks tea or a lovely drop of gin. A proper chap knows exactly why. And everything is splendid in the mind of a chap because a chap's mind is on higher things. A proper chap quotes Byron with a collar and tie on. A proper chap will doff a cap and thing. So it's all of you want to be tight, shiny suit from Mr. Byright wearing saps. Here's the news. Watch your P's and Q's because, damn it, it feels good to be a chap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funk flex, eat your heart Boom. out. Boom, etc. <laughs> where's the Where's the air horn sample? Come on. <laughs> Jay, just up, Jay was just talking about adding that to the show before we came. Oh, there you go. He was like, wait, wait, wait. What, what, was that, what was that line about, about the Chinese uh, suit? Oh, um, no, a tight, shiny suit rather than a tight, oh. Chinese suit. God, you're oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to be disparaging Chinese suits. I know, yeah. Shit. I know people are getting that, some delightful suits made in Hong Kong. But, um, yeah, no, tight, shiny suit. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, just in case anyone else thought the same thing. Oh, yeah. thought, yeah, they're racist against I was getting, suits. I was getting excited with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, being a, a, a suit maker from Thailand, perhaps you, you do want to disparage Chinese suits. <laughs> <laughs> no, forget those Chinese suits. Bangkok's where it's at, baby. Yeah, yeah. So you are officially the first person to rhyme on the Dapper Villains podcast. Well, I, I'm on it. <laughs> it's so crazy, Jay, that you were, we were just talking about it because he just got yeah. the Dream Deck thing. He's like, oh, I can add sounds like the air horn. <laughs> I feel like I've ruined it all now to say, oh, you should add those sounds. Oh, we were going to do that anyway. <laughs> Sure you were, Dana. Sure you were. <laughs> so, so we've got these 10 questions. and It, it kind of gives us a baseline with, uh, with the show. And, you know, really just fun. They're, they're nothing serious. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, the first one, we always kick it off with fabric because no matter where you are in the world, what, what your style is, fabric's the foundation. And mm -hmm. it, I was an engineer in a previous life. And as an engineer, I yes. like to have these, these thought exercises where I limit things, right? And, and limit my, yeah. my options to come up with creative solutions. Well, that's, I think that's, that is a great part of creativity. I mean, even with what I do, it's, it's within chap hop, there's limits. I have to, you have to dress a certain way. You have to, yeah, there are certain rules and parameters within you can, which you can express yourself. But yeah. you can, you know, obviously, as yeah, I always say, and I say in the song Shell Toes Are Broke, you know, you can break the rules only if you know the rules first. Yeah. Like yeah. the matching time pocket square. And, yeah. you know, if you know the rules, then you can start to break them because you can then justify whatever yeah. you're doing. It's yeah, same thing as a designer. Those constraints now give me a, a little bit more kind of creativity. <laughs> and so when we think about fabric, you know, the, the mainstays are cotton, linen, and wool. And if you could mm -hmm. only choose one, for the, the rest of your days, one only, no blends, just one, what, what would it be and why? Um, I would, contrary to what I really should be saying, I'm going to go with cotton, just simply because, well, it is yeah, I'm almost at the... Yeah, exactly, yeah, with, with tweed underwear. <laughs> uh, yeah, just keep it uncomfortable. You need to be you know, fidgeting about a bit. But... um. No, I think maybe because, well, it's almost like saying in a previous life, when I used to play live, um, it's just, for me, I kind of like the slightly unstructured look. Mm. And I think largely because a lot of these suits I bought from Old Town, I just, you know, I've got, well, I don't know how many of them I've got. You've seen the videos. You may be able to count them up yourself, but I've got a number of them. Um, and they're just, they're the kind of thing you can, you can put on when you get up, 
and wear them out and look good, but still be be comfortable. And also under the stage lights, they're just it's just the best thing to wear for me, really. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's sadly that's it. I think as a chap, probably this could be sacrilege, and I may be uh, I may be chased out of town possibly for not choosing wool or or linen, but yeah. For me, it's most of the things I wear are cotton, and even you know, I hate to say it, but this you know the shirt I've got on, which is one that I wear on stage. I discovered this place called Oldfield Clothing in in England, mm. and they make these sort of just jersey material shirts, but nice you know kind of vintage looking shirts, but they're made of jersey. So you know when I'm on stage, they're kind of nice and cool, and don't you know I don't it doesn't show up a lot of sweat like a, <laughs> an ordinary shirt would. When you're leaping about the place, obviously being an old man, I'm not leaping about the place quite so much as I was, but yeah. Yeah, I've heard Henry Rollins talk about performing live, and the only reason he used to perform, and I've seen him do his spoken word uh, shows, but I've never mm. seen him play uh, music. Oh, right, right. And uh, I've heard him say, though, that. Well, I've seen him a few times play, yeah. Yeah, and he only wears like the denim shorts, right? Yes, yeah. yeah or just, because- yeah, and no, I think they're just kind of almost. Um, I think they're like jersey shorts or something like that. They're just, it just almost shorts. like a sports short. And he said yeah. only because he sweats profusely on stage and the fewer things he has to dry between shows, the more likely it is to actually <laughs> be dry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I've seen, I've seen Rollins. I've not seen him do his, his spoken word, but I've seen him play a few times and it's, yeah, it's, it's quite full on. It's um yeah I do uh, yeah that's yeah that was a moment I remember being at the Reading Festival in '92 I think it was when he played when I was quite young and yeah I think we may have overdone things a little bit on certain substances and <laughs> I think we were caught about seven o'clock in the morning that's morning me and my friend both doing silent Henry Rollins impressions outside our tent <laughs> <laughs> uh, and sort of looked up and there's a couple of people outside their tent just, going, <laughs> just staring at us as we're like. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll say, Silently his, pretending to be Helen Rollins for some reason. His spoken word is intense. So I can only imagine musically. Like, yeah. I've, I've listened to his music for years. So yeah, mm. him on stage is... You know, the show is full on intense. Yeah. I mean, I remember the one... Yeah, we, I think we have a certain affinity with him. But just, you know, you can, even when he's being incredibly intense, there's something kind of amusing yeah. about it. When he, was at, when he was at the Reading Festival, it was like a beautiful sunny day. And he did this whole bit in between songs about going at least one of you's gonna get murdered soon at least one of you's gonna get you know assaulted <laughs> right stay on henry we're having a nice weekend here take it easy bring it down a bit come on okay maybe don't have a cup of tea just yet <laughs> <laughs> no exactly yeah <laughs> how, how about yes but yeah so i guess for comfort it's yeah it's that 100 percent kind yeah very common answer actually surprisingly um all right across the board that a lot of people who jay and i will have talked beforehand like wool for sure on this 100 percent, and they're like cotton and they're like what really maybe maybe it's something to do with the time of year you ask them perhaps i don't know because at the moment you know it's, it's starting to become autumn now but the thought of still the thought of wearing all wool kind of will bring you out in the sweat immediately but uh yeah, perhaps uh, perhaps if you ask people in November, they'll be like, wool, all the way. Definitely give me as much wool as you can. Well, now Jay's, we, we talked to um, uh, Dandy Wellington the other day. That episode ah, yes, excellent. Yeah, I know we'll Dandy. This week, I believe. And um, Oh, great. Jay, Jay and him have now come up with this concept for winterweight linen, fuchsia colored. And uh, Jay said he's, he's making it. He, he took a photo of Dandy Excellent. Wellington. He's going to use it on the advertising. And uh, that, that's it. Straight bootleg Thailand winter weight linen. Here well, I do have a suit that's a, that's a linen wool mix, which is quite kind of all seasons-ish. Yeah, that's a nice blend, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really comfortable, but it's not, it's not overly you know, cool for the summer or hot for the winter. It tends to be. It can, it can work yeah. in all settings. Nice. About, thing, I'm talking about suits now and suddenly thinking, oh, I should wear that. Where is it? This is the thing about having too many suits. You can know, like, oh, yeah, I've not worn that one for ages. Where? I don't even know where it is. It's probably here somewhere. It's in one of the closets. Yeah, one of the closets, yes. 
how about item wise you have a favorite menswear item um well i, I mean i have to say for the now it's 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 my new siren suits okay. i did when because like, it was my wife that made the first one for me and i was immediately like this is the my favorite piece of clothing i've ever had it's, it's a it's really cool be your style piece yeah it looks really cool in in dress yeah well this is yeah. it i think this is another thing about wanting to i think it's like not wanting to fit into every everything that's going on so it's like i think like the siren suit because it has you know sort of churchillian connotations or what have you but not yeah. like that's necessarily a great thing no, yeah, entirely yeah. you know <laughs> there's some problems there definitely but as far as style goes and they always you know on a, if they look good on a on a fat old man then i'd kind of yeah it's i was just very pleased with that i've been wanting one for ages because it is a kind of sartorial item and it's something but it's very something much. that you just don't i was you know look trying to find one somewhere you know just to buy it was virtually impossible so it's nice again it's one of those things it's what do you call it? a, a uniquity or something that's unique sort of thing. So, the yeah, one you're so wearing is, is cotton it's uh yes it is yeah but it's kind of got a slightly wool look to it, is it but it's is that, yeah is it's cotton. A liner? but it's actually cotton no. uh no it's it's just it's unlined so it's uh yeah, Dana, stop comfy. asking him to get naked, and that's not a great excuse. <laughs> yeah, okay, there we go. There we go. This is the thing. He's the one guy on this podcast that we know is wearing pants. Oh, yes. You've seen the yes. pants. Yeah, they are all there. But I see the trousers are, you know, I'm going to get up there. The trousers are a proper kind of Oxford, Oxford bag. It's really nice. Very loose trouser. So showing off a sports sock underneath it then, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, showing off a stripy sports sock. And it looked like a zoot suit. Like I mean, like how how wide it is the the pants. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I do that thing. I do like a really wide a wide trouser, and but a sort of fitted top half. Mm. And um, so yeah, I th- and that's again again it's the thing. I kind of don't want to. I suppose like you know, I say Prince was always a big influence, and and I like the fact that he you couldn't really as a normal as a fan go out dressed like prince no, because you just not it's not going to work no human it's almost like prince, prince was can dress like almost prince. born like that and it just yeah even like with bowie would wear outlandish things but he kind of look a bit ridiculous whereas prince would wear just ridiculous stuff but just look absolutely incredible the whole time yeah. and look like yeah this is 